yeah, boldness. Just throw yourself into life. You can have as much in this world as your heart desires. Get out there in life, and, and that's where the empowerment comes, and that's where the achievement comes, and that's where the miracles are on the other side. This is episode two of the Android Strength Podcast with Scott York. Welcome to the Android Strength Podcast. Every day, ordinary people sacrifice everything to transform their bodies. They commit their lives to push themselves beyond the limit. They're on a journey to become extraordinary. These are their stories. Here's your host, Mark Mulzer. Scott York is not a single-dimensional man. He's an entrepreneur, an athlete, bodybuilder, physical trainer, weight loss coach, life mentor. In this podcast episode, Scott takes us on a tour down memory lane, introducing us to some of the greatest bodybuilders of all times. He's worked with people like Mike Scasella, Bob Ruskin, Frank Capilupo, and many others. He's the creator of the DVD series Bodybuilders Reality with Lee Priest. He mentors with inspirational heavyweights like Joe Vitale. He's put the knowledge he's gained over the years to good use. In 2015, he was crowned Austin's fittest man over 50. He's an overall amazing guy we can learn so much from. Listen in as we talk about topics like visualization, how to develop mental toughness, the importance of experiencing achievements, how to set goals and how to achieve them. I hope you get inspired by Scott as much as I did. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to it on iTunes and leave a review. It would be so great to hear your feedback. All right, Scott York in the house today. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to it. It's Easter Sunday too, so thanks for taking the time on a holiday to talk to me. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure being here. <laughs> All right. And you just got done uh, uh, filming with Ed at the gym. Tell me a little bit about that. What's, yeah. Is that a new project of yours? Well, uh, thanks for asking. I've been over at Metroflex Austin Gym, and uh, man, that place is filled with all kinds of mutants in there. Very large people, very strong people. I love that gym. The atmosphere is so electrifying, you know, and uh, there were some power lifters in there this morning, so my ears are still kind of ringing from that. But um, yeah, you... Uh, one of the things that we have done is, uh, well, Ed, Ed and I go way back. I introduced him to Lee Priest. Lee was looking for a training partner. For those of you that may not know Lee Priest, uh, he is one of the top pro bodybuilders in the world. Turned pro at 21 years old, Mr. Australia three different times. And uh, Lee lived in Austin, Texas back in 2005, 2006. And he goes through training partners, you know, like, uh, like nothing. And uh, he needed a training partner. And I knew of Ed Brown from... A uh, few years prior, it's kind of like a little brother to me. So I introduced the two of them, and uh, it worked out really well. Ed was able to train with Lee during Lee's very successful string of IFBB Pro wins, and also when Lee went into the other organization. Um, so even though Lee is now back in Australia, Ed, you know, is uh, still competing, still lifting. And so we were filming some of Ed's 14-week-out preparation from his next contest over there at Metroflex. 
And uh, he loaded up the uh, hack squat with almost 800 pounds. <laughs> He's a freak, yeah. And, and sure. I get always get nervous when I see that. It's like, oh, I just know something's going to break, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm 51, so you know, at this point, it's like, oh, don't do that. But at the same time, I'm trying to be quiet because you know that's what people want to see. And then he did some bench press stuff. So we had a really successful uh, filming session. Yeah, and, and how did you actually meet Lee Priest? I mean, did you just work out at the same same gym? or? Well, there's a lesson here for all of us, uh, me included. Um, I have been a fan of Lee Priest for a long, long time. I have been in bodybuilding as a fan and as a competitor since 1988 when I did my very first show, the Heart of Texas Classic. I came in second, NPC show in Waco. And uh, I just fell in love with bodybuilding, so I started buying the magazines And, uh, you know, Lee Priest uh, was up and coming during the late 80s and 90s. And so, um, you know, a lot of people like Lee for his brash demeanor and his outgoing personality and, you know, his awesome physique. And uh, I found out that Lee lived in Austin, Texas in 2005. So I'm fast forwarding now about, you know, 15 years from when I started. And I had the idea of creating passive income which you and I were talking about earlier. I had a mentor by the name of Ryan Lee, R-Y-A-N-L-E-E, -E, who turned me on to the idea of creating passive income. Uh, I was all about that because at the time I was, uh, you know, training people in the gym. So, you know, if you get sick or if your client gets sick, then, you know, you lose that money unless you have a really good cancellation policy. And I was also working... Uh, in the real world. And I was looking for ways as I started to have my kids to stay at home, stay at home more. And so Ryan Lee turned me on to the idea of a CD of the month. And I thought, well, what about a DVD of the month? How could I mix a DVD of the month and bodybuilding, which was one of my favorite topics. And Lee Priest lives here in Austin. So I thought, I wonder if Lee would be interested in doing that. So that's where Bodybuilder's Reality, uh, the idea, came about. So, okay, I said, I'm going to do this. and So this is way before YouTube really became... Well, a, YouTube in 2005 was kind of when YouTube was starting to take off. And, you know, we were not going to use YouTube as our vehicle. We were going to do a hard copy DVD right. and create a DVD every month. Now, I don't know anything about filming at the time. I don't know anything about making DVDs at the time. I don't know anything about fulfillment at the time. I have no idea. I just know it's a good idea. Right. And I need to do it, you know. Uh, because one of my buddies says, Joe Vitale uh, from the movie The Secret, he says, uh, God gives great ideas to more than just one person. The same idea. Because he knows that most people aren't going to pursue that right. idea. So those words were ringing in my head. So I didn't even know Lee. And I said, I got to figure out a way to get a hold of him. And uh, a guy named Bruce, who owns Gym One in Austin, Texas, uh, was uh, good friends with Lee. And I knew Bruce pretty well. So I sent Bruce an email. I said, hey, Bruce, here's my idea. Ask Lee if he wants to be involved. He would be the main character in this reality DVD of the month. And, you know, Lee has built-in fans, so most of the work is done. Uh, marketing is the hardest part, um, typically. So uh, within a day, you know, uh, Bruce emailed me back and said, yeah, he's all, 
all about it. Man. That is awesome. So sight unseen, you know, Lee just agreed to do it. He didn't know me. He didn't know if I was going to be able to deliver. He started telling people about it even before <laughs> the very first one. And they were like, where can we sign up? That is so cool. And and so did you get together and you talked a little bit about the project. Um, you know, was there some um, structure that you follow? You just started filming or how did it go? For the people who haven't seen the show or, I mean... Yeah, um, what happened is that I said, okay, Bruce, so Lee has agreed to do it. How am I going to get a hold of him? He said, okay, here's Lee's uh, email, nitroleepriest at AOL.com. <laughs> I can still remember it. That's not his email now, but it right. was at the time. So I sent him an email right away, money loves speed, and uh, said, hey, Lee, I'm Scott. Bruce introduced us. Uh, what should we do to get started? He said, well, I'll be over at Gold's Gym and we can start our very first uh, episode, you know, next week. And so I met him at Gold's Gym. Bruce was there because he was training with Lee. And uh, that's how it all started is that I just showed up. There was no fanfare. There was no buildup. It was just drive over, take my little uh, mini DV camera with no microphone, you know, just the microphone built into the camera and uh, start filming. And the beauty of reality is that there's no script. You know, I just was filming their training. And and how did that go? I mean, I was nervous, you know, because this was my idol, you know, in bodybuilding. That was a guy that I really looked up to. So when you see Lee for the first time in person, you know, that right there is enough to just make you fall over because he's just so gigantic. And once I got over that, you know, I started to get into the role of videographer and just tried to stay out of the way right exactly my my thought was just to be quiet and let lee and bruce you know work through their workout and just pick up that banter lee's a very funny guy so the jokes were coming non-stop but lee was not going to have any of that he wanted me to be involved he wanted me to be talking <laughs> okay. which i wasn't really prepared for so we had a lot of technical issues i remember the first six seven dvds um, the lighting, you know, I was learning how to frame. I was learning about lighting. I was learning about audio. I was learning, you know, just the ins and outs of filming. And so this was just learning as I was going. So the lesson here is if you have an idea and you feel passionate about it, don't wait for things to be perfect. Just jump in and learn as you're going. Right, right, right. There's a guy, I don't know if you know of Casey Neistat or not, but he does some crazy videos and he um, snowboarded New York City and all this kind of stuff. And there's a that episode. sounds familiar. Yeah, exactly. So he's he's exploding right now. He started in 2010, but that's what he's saying. Is it, and this tell- is on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he says, "Don't don't tell me about your idea. You know, make a movie and then show me the movie. You know, he says action action talks. Right. I love that. Exactly. So 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 I want to talk a little bit about you know your beginning for people who don't know you. You mentioned a little bit earlier you started out as a pro bodybuilder, but before that, I mean, tell me a little bit about how you got get started and what uh, um, what went on early on, and, mm-hmm. and uh, tell us a little bit about what happened after you started uh, competing and how was that for you? Was it difficult? Who were your mentors in that time frame? Okay, well, a really good starting point would be at age uh, 21. I was going to Baylor University, and I was not into bodybuilding yet. Um, I was in a class, a journalism class, as I remember, and there was two or 300 students in this class, so it was a big class. I had a panic attack in the middle of the class. I felt like the room was spinning. I was freaking out. I was a little paranoid that if I stood up and tried to leave the class that I might faint, and, you know, everybody would stare at me. 
So that was the first time I ever had any sort of panic attack, ever. Uh, I left the class, and I didn't pass out or anything. I made it home. But I realized that something wasn't right in my life, and, and I needed to figure out what that was. Well, the missing link was nutrition. I was in school, so I was eating a bunch of crap. Uh, I wasn't working out. And I remember going to the grocery store and seeing a muscle and fitness, and I bought it because I knew I needed to get back into exercise. This, nobody told me this. It was just instinct. I was an athlete in high school, and I realized that that was what was missing in my life, and that was probably what caused the panic attack. So I just devoured that muscle and fitness magazine. 1985, I joined Gold's Gym in Waco. Um, after four, five, six months, the gym owner came up to me and said, hey, you should think about competing. And I thought, compete in what? An eating contest? I, mean, I had no idea what he was talking about competing in. He said, no, in bodybuilding. So that was the very first uh, thing that got me going in that direction. Were you following any kind of program at the time? Or no. Or did you just straight out of... Yeah, what? just straight, you know, do chest and uh, bench pressing and, and et cetera, just following a standard routine. And so um, I had no more panic attacks. Uh, my nutrition completely turned around, did a 180, and I knew that this was the missing link, you know, and that I needed to continue to go in this direction. So by the gym owner saying, you know, you should compete, that opened up my ears because I've always considered myself to be pretty competitive. I like athletics. So I started looking at bodybuilding. I continued to buy Muscle and Fitness, and then Flex magazine came out. And in 1988, three years after I started working out, I competed, and that was my very first show. I came in second. Wow. In terms of mentors in bodybuilding, I, I you know, fast forward to 1990. So I competed in 1988. I moved to Dallas after Waco. Um, I was still, you know, bitten by the bodybuilding bug. I hadn't competed again. I went up to the biggest guy in the gym in Dallas, the gym was the name of it in <laughs> Dallas, and I said, hey, I want to be your training partner. And he kind of laughed, and I figured that might happen. I said, why are you laughing? And he said, well, I've had this you know, happen quite a bit. People don't show up, though. I, I said, I'll be here. He said, okay. He said, well, tomorrow we're doing legs. And that began a year of solid you know, training between Mike Scarcella And I, and during that year, Mike won AAU Mr. America. He was on the cover of one of the major magazines, uh, Robert Kennedy's, um, one of the muscle magazines. And he also won Mr. USA. So I ended up being, as Mike said, you were my greatest training partner I ever had. I had all my success during that time. So I learned a lot from Mike. He was my first mentor. So how how was the training different than would you say? You, I mean, you already had a, a body sh a building show under your belt at the time, mm -hmm. but for someone who's uninitiated, when you go and go from you know, doing the ten reps of you know bench press to working with someone who's really serious and successful, is, yeah. tell me about that transformation that happened. Yeah, well, I probably weighed about one seventy five when I first started training with Mike. In a very short time, I got to two oh five because. Wow. He really turned me around as far as, you know, better nutrition uh, in terms of thinking of gr muscle growth. And his approach was volume. So he did a lot of volume and he used a lot of heavy weight. Um, we would do legs twice a week 
I remember doing back squats, you know, one day and then three days later, the focus would be front squats. And we always alternated between, uh, you know, that that uh, training strategy. We trained back, I think, twice a week. So it was a lot of volume. Uh, I'm going to throw out a couple of names that I'd be really impressed if some of the listeners may have heard these names. Uh, Bob Gruskin was a chemistry professor at New York University. He was Mike's mentor. He helped Mike with Mike's nutrition and his supplementation, Bob Gruskin. He was a photographer. He was great friends with Robert Kennedy. He did a lot of the photos for the magazines. And I learned, you know, from Bob through Mike because everything Mike learned, I learned as well. Um, so that was a very, very valuable time in my life training with Mike Scarcella. So, and, and this, at this point in time, you're really forming this idea that bodybuilding is something that you want to, to really pursue more seriously. And, and how did that, uh, change in terms of what you were thinking about doing? I mean, you were at Baylor at the time, you were going to college, but mm -hmm. was there ever a notion that, hey, this is something you put your life towards? Mm -hmm. When did that uh, that happen where you said, hey, I, I don't think the, the path everybody else takes is for me. I want to do something different. Yeah, it would have been about around that time. That's a great question. Probably 1990, 91, I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder. Once I met Mike and began training with him, I liked the lifestyle uh, it was a lot of freedom. I was at school at the University of North Texas at this time, so I had a job at a hotel as a desk clerk from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. I was going to school in the morning, and then I was training with Mike, working around those hours. I remember uh, one thing funny that happened during that time is we had kind of a show-and-tell at the University of North Texas. It was a speech class. You were supposed to bring a prop. It could be a person. <laughs> so I asked Mike, hey, man, why don't you come up to a class with me? I'll buy you lunch. And, you know, bodybuilders will do anything. They get free <laughs> lunch out of it. And uh, I had him come in and be my prop. So it was one of the easiest grades I ever earned because nobody was looking at me. You know, when you do speech, sometimes you're nervous. They were all looking at him. He had a shirt off. He was posing. They were just gasping. And I think Mike that was... too funny. Yeah, Mike was a little bit embarrassed now that I look back because he didn't realize the, you know, the reality of it until he actually got there and... You know, there were no surprises, but that was a funny thing. We had a lot of good times. I met a lot of really successful bodybuilders during that time. Uh, IFBB pro Debbie Mugley, uh, Mr. Texas and Mr. USA Kelly Hitchcock. Uh, we had a real uh, circle of, of bodybuilders and powerlifters like what they have at Metroflex now. And a lot of these guys and gals went on to do some major damage in the IFBB and uh, and so forth. So I think that's one thing I want to, um, I want to spend a little bit of time on because it's really interesting to me. Um, a lot of people go to the gym. A lot of people think they stay healthy and, and make some progress, but they never really break through, I want to say. And perhaps some of those kids were in class at that time as well, right? And they said, hey, I'm never going to look like this. Uh, but but you for you, it was sort of always in front of you and something you, you could chase and, and someone you could, you could talk to and, and, and interact with. I, I, I think that's really difficult for, for people to follow uh, if they're not in that lifestyle that you've talked about, right? Where, where 
you have to really change your mindset about what's possible. You don't go to the gym anymore to, you know, maybe lose a couple of pounds. There's, there's a transformation that happens in, not just in your body, but also in your thinking. But then perhaps what I'm, what I'm hearing is through that, you really get exposed to, to other people and sort of starts feeding on itself. Could, could, can you confirm that? It's once you started getting more serious, that's when you really the transformation started happening. Yeah, I was looking uh, for my own path. I come from a family of lawyers, and I knew I didn't want to do that because that was one of my first jobs, working for my dad in his law office in the summer. And I was just, I remember calculating delinquent property taxes, and I thought, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> my dad was a tax attorney. So I was looking for my own path. I have a creative streak about me. We talked about creating DVDs and stuff. So I knew that I wanted to do something that was uh, you know, more to my liking and a little more creative. So bodybuilding spoke to me in that regard. I liked helping people lose weight. I had some achievement with uh, you know, my first contest coming in second. It was pretty good. And so I wanted to build on that. Uh, Mike told me that I had good genetics and that I should continue to compete. So when you get around people like that, that are very motivating and they're very goal-oriented, the community is what really stands out. The community that we had at that time, just like in the movie Pumping Iron, if you go back, Arnold and Frank Zane and Franco Colombo, they had a community and they were all pushing each other you know, to do their best. So it's very important whether you're just trying to lose 5, 10, 15 pounds or you're trying to be you know, the best in bodybuilding or powerlifting, you got to be around supportive people, and that's what's missing for a lot of people. They just uh, they don't think in that direction. They read a book, or a magazine, or you know maybe they're online researching stuff. But that's only part of it. You got to be around people uh, regularly and consistently to keep pushing forward. Bill Phillips has his um, weight loss camp that he does in Colorado. The reason Bill Phillips has been so successful for so long is that he's got a huge community of people, and they all help each other. When you go to Bill Phillips' uh, weight loss camp, the first thing they do is create a Facebook page for your group. So if you're there with 20 other strangers, you instantly have your own Facebook page, and all of you now are connected when you go back home. You have to check in with each other. You have to post pictures. So the community is very, very important. Excellent, excellent. I think that's that's important for for people who are maybe struggling with their self image and sitting at home, saying, "Hey, I, I, I could never do what these people do." But you say the communities will start, you know, rallying around you. You also um, mentioned twice now, sort of the idea of the, the impetus of of starting, the, taking that first step. Um, it seemed like it, it, that came fairly easy to you, though. Were there any, at least in the beginning, tell me a little bit more about how that progressed over time and did it get harder? Were there some, some, some times where you really struggled with this and said, hey, I don't know if, if I made the right choice or it, did it just sort of progress from there linearly and uh, to where you are today? I think what happened is that another mentor showed up in my life in Dallas in the early 90s. I was training with Mike and a gentleman named Frank Capalupo uh, was a member of the gym. And Frank was an older guy in his 40s at the time. I was in my 20s. And Frank was a bodybuilder, but he was also a businessman. He was general manager of a facility in Dallas. And I knew that I needed to, you know, not only focus on bodybuilding, but also at some point, you know, you got to start earning a living. I didn't want to work in the hotel. 
my business, uh, my degree at University of North Texas was business management. So Frank caught my attention because he was someone who was doing both. He was very successful in bodybuilding. He went on to become Masters Mr. America in the Masters Division, AAU. And he was a fun-loving guy, always joking with people, and just loved fitness and bodybuilding. Frank grew up in New York. He trained along uh, Sergio Oliva in Chicago at the Duncan YMCA, very famous uh, place. And he got my attention, and he actually gave me a job. And so my corporate career, uh, I went from the hotel to a company called Lawson Products, where Frank was the general manager. So then Frank and I began training together. We'd work together and then go to the gym and train together. Mike didn't like that too much, so that was kind of an obstacle that I had to overcome is that, you know, I, uh, I shifted paths, I shifted training partners. And, uh, you know, I really didn't have any struggles because I was very clear on what I wanted to do. I wanted to con- continue competing in bodybuilding, but I also wanted to pursue a uh, career in business. And so Frank was shining the light down that street so to speak. He was showing me that, you know, you can be a businessman and you can be a, a successful bodybuilder too. Right. And and so what happened then? It, you still um, went competing, went on to compete and, and uh, from, from there, what happened? So in 92, I did the AAU Mr. Texas. I did the uh, uh, Greater Denton bodybuilding show. I won that and I did the Southwest USA and uh, came in second in that. And that was an NPC show, I believe, the Southwest USA. I competed as a middleweight. And um, so I was still working at Lawson Products, and I came up for the opportunity to transfer to another facility. Same company, just another facility. It was in Reno, Nevada. It was 1994. And so they wanted the company wanted to send me out to Reno and uh, see if I liked it. So I went out there for a week during spring, and uh, you know the weather was nice out there, and the people were friendly, and Frank told me that the chances of him also being transferred out there were pretty good. Now, I'm from Texas originally, so I'd never really lived anywhere, and I, I, you know, creating my own path, once again, was something important to me, so I wanted to explore the world. make a long story short, I took that job in Reno, and I met my future wife the very first day. The very first day, she was standing at the copy machine. She was a college student. It was summer now, and this was her summer job. And I'll never forget, there was just an aura around her. She was wearing a red dress. It was love at first sight, man. I know that sounds cheesy, but, you know, you got to believe there's a lot of people that may have given up and no, they're really, there's somebody out there and there, there is such a thing as love at first sight. And uh, we've been married since 1999. And not only is she my best friend, but she's one of the greatest training partners I ever had. Her name is Kristen. So I met her in 94. Uh, She was the captain of the dive team. She's a four-year athlete at the University of Nevada, Reno, a scholarship athlete. Very smart. Got her degree in accounting. And um, so we then, after four years in Reno, had the opportunity to get promoted to uh, warehouse manager in Atlanta, Georgia. So Kristen and I, uh, newly married, went to Atlanta, Georgia, and once in Atlanta, I was still comp- I was not competing, but I was still bodybuilding very, very seriously. And uh, Frank had transferred to Reno, as he had mentioned. 
but he was not going to go to Atlanta, which was fine. Um, you know, I was married at this point and uh, it was time to kind of, you know, spread my own wings. So we really liked Atlanta a lot. The year was 1998, I believe. The problem was this was a new facility in Atlanta. Uh, we had a lot of calls. I had a lot of calls at night saying, hey, Scott, you need to get down to the facility. There's all kinds of problems with the technology. You may know what I'm talking about, <laughs> where you have to go down. And so being a newlywed, it started to kind of interfere a little bit. The hours were growing longer from 40 to 50 to 60 hours a week. It was still just the two of us. We didn't have any kids. But, you know, we started to say, hey, is this really for us? We loved Atlanta. We loved the people. It was just the job wasn't going in the direction, you know, that I was uh, hoping it would. I don't mind working, but... You know, when there's a bunch of people, obviously, with their hand on the trigger, things can go in different directions and you lose a little bit of control. So we made a decision to say, hey, we want to start having kids and uh, we really like Austin, which is where I'm from. So we came down to Austin, checked out the scene. This was uh, 99, 1999. You know, the tech industry was booming. Uh, rents were really high. I remember people were charging pet rent. So not only did you pay for yourself to rent a condo or an apartment, you had to pay for your pet, right. you know, to, <laughs> to, to be there. And so we did move to Austin. I got a job at St. David's Medical Center. That was just kind of a, uh, you know, a, a job to get me to Austin. My wife got a job at a hospital also in the finance department. And that's what brought us to Austin. So I think, I think I see a theme there where, where you, uh, make decisions and drastic changes uh, come pretty easily to you, but someone someone else might have gotten stuck in in Atlanta and saying, "Hey, this job is okay for me as long as I have my TV and my TV show." But you don't strike <laughs> me as a person that that would do that. I think I think there's something in you that says, "I'm not I'm not compromising. I'm not compromising my family life, my my personal fitness, and also my fitness goals for." for just settling is is that correct would you would you yeah and uh you know sometimes it's uh it's a double-edged sword because you can get yourself in a lot of trouble that way and by that i mean you can lose out on security if you're not careful you don't want to just float along through life you know and just skip around la la da and never forge out a future 401k you know and all the benefits that come with being at a job for a long period of time that's one side. The other side is you got to stay true to yourself. You only get one life. I realize this more and more as I get older and see my kids get older. So you want to make sure that you're, you know, going down the path that you feel fulfilled and you want to be a good example to your kid and say, "Hey, you know, you can do anything in this world. Don't be afraid to take chances." So that's always kind of rung rung in my head is uh you know, to get out there and take chances. And, and my dad did this. Uh, when he was 52, uh, he started all over again. He was working in Austin as an attorney, and he just wasn't happy with the career path. So he said, I'm going to start all over again. So at age 52, he did. He started his own law firm in a little town called Corsicana, Texas. And he had a business card that he wrote down how much money he made each month. The first month, he made 100 bucks. My mom was terrified. <laughs> it went up, you know, after that. But that always stood out to me is that my dad was a hero of mine in that way. He wasn't afraid to get out and take chances. So that was probably the main reason. So do you think that sort of the universe will ra rally around the people who are, who are making those 
those decisions and, and taking those chances. I mean, there's there's this notion that perhaps um, only only if you do take the risk, those opportunities will present themselves. If, if you if you don't make that make that first step, perhaps you will never never even get in front of, confronted with that opportunity. Yeah, I think we all know deep down, you know, following your gut is probably the best advice you know that you could have there. Um, I, I do believe that the universe will um, help you align, you know, to your dreams, to the path that you are intended to take. And a lot of people, um, they're so busy, you know, with their everyday life and their work and all that, that they never really pull their head up out of the sand and look around and say, what else is there? You know, so you have to be aware of the opportunities. And there's so many opportunities with technology these days. So you don't have to be satisfied, you know, with a job, a nine to five, uh, as the thing that you're going to spend the rest of your life doing. Uh, I think you have to be, you know, passionate about something and then you need to follow your passion and you need to make smart choices, obviously. You need to have mentors. I've had a lot of mentors and they've helped me immensely. Have I made some wrong decisions? Absolutely. An example would be when I left Lawson, I left very abruptly. I wish I hadn't done that. I didn't give them notice. Um, I basically had just had enough and said, okay, I'm just done. Without going into that too much, you know, you, you, you know, there's been a lot of mistakes that I've made, but you know, you got to stay true to what you're ultimately wanting to do. What do I ultimately want to do? Well, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to create passive income. I want to be a coach, you know, in the health and fitness industry, working with athletes, uh, have projects that I do with my kids, all the other things that I've done, the CDs, the DVDs, the membership sites, mentoring. I mean, I still do a lot of that, but you know, now I'm really hyper-focused on a project with my kids and with my Scott York Fitness business. So yeah, I feel like I went out and uh, sampled what the world had to offer in the corporate world and tried different jobs within that same company. But ultimately, that wasn't for me. And, you know, maybe it's for some people. That's fine. I mean, somebody's got to do it, obviously. Right. <laughs> right. So I feel good about the choices that I've made. I felt like I've got experience. I learned a lot from these people. I'm grateful to those folks. And now I'm using those lessons that I learned from them in the corporate world and applying them, you know, in my own business. Amazing, amazing. So that's that's one thing I wanted to talk a little bit more about now is your philosophy has changed more from inwards facing, perhaps focusing on yourself now, really uh, working with a lot of students, uh, getting involved in the community, you know, helping um, even strangers like me before we knew each other, you know, on the internet. Um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier um, was sort of this 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 uh, quote that I found from you saying train train harder than than you coach. Uh, what does it really mean to you? And, and and explain us a little bit more about how you, how you put, uh, incorporate that into your daily life now. Yeah, good point. And I love that quote: "Train harder than you coach." What that means to me, and I read that somewhere, so it's not my quote. It means for me to be the example to my clients, uh, using athletes as an example. I have found personally that I will get a lot more out of my athletes if I train with them and if I kind of dangle the carrot in front of them. 
I would never ask my athletes, my clients to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And I know they respect that because we talk about it all the time. I say, hey, if I just told you to go over there and do burpees for 100 reps and I'm going to sit over here and count, would you like to do that? Or would you like for you and I to share uh, that 100 reps? You'll, you'll do 100, I'll do 100, and we'll do it together. No, I want you to do it with me is what they say. Um, they like that because they want you know someone who's leading rather than just standing along the wayside and directing. I know that's how I like to operate too. I know in the business world, when I would have a boss ask me to do something, it meant much more, uh, and, and I respected it much more when I knew that they had you know, done it themselves, whatever that job was. A good example that uh, comes to mind is uh, Jim Har- Harbaugh. I hope I'm saying his name right. The coach uh, used to be with the San Francisco 49ers, and now he's at the University of Michigan, football coach. He gets out there and works out with his players. He, he challenges them to foot, uh, to foot races. You know, he, he challenges them physically, and they love it, you know, because he's out there working alongside them. So for me, that's what that means is to you know, not only, you know, be the example, uh, train myself when I'm training alone very hard, uh, and, but smart, and so that I can continue, you know, to hang and uh, stay ahead of, you know, my younger clients. Uh, that's, that's how I hope, you know, to continue to uh, coach in that direction. Not, not just coach from the sideline, but to actually be involved with them. Right. And I, th- I think that's really important for, for the person that's, who's being coached is to, to see what's possible too, right? Uh, it's, it's not necessarily that you're, you're better than them, but you perhaps impersonate this idea that improving yourself is indeed possible. I think when I look back, it's uh, before I joined, you know, more serious gyms and you just worked out by yourself, you had no idea what your body was capable of, correct? Right. And so it, it takes someone to coach you to, right. to be, start believing in yourself more. Is, is, is that something that, that you think you instill in your students too, to be, be that person that says you can do that? I see that opportunity in you. Yeah, well, we were talking about Ed Brown Jr., and I introduced him to Lee, and he became Lee's training partner. So the value that Ed got training with Lee for a year is you just can't put a price tag on that, you know? So absolutely, you have to find people, you know, that are doing what you want to do. And when you're talking about money, you know, a lot of times people will read a book or uh, an article, and they'll tell you what they read. I want to see you actually have, have done it yourself. You know, with Lee hopping back to bodybuilding, he obviously had won, you know, tons of titles, one of the best in the world. Joe Vitale, the financial mentor and the philosophical mentor, mentor has, you know, a garage filled of exotic cars. <laughs> and, you know, this is a guy that's done it. Um, he's not trying to say, hey, I'm better than anybody. He's just saying, you can have as much in this world as your heart desires. Don't limit yourself. You know, there's plenty out there for all of us. It's unlimited. The universe is unlimited. A lot of times people limit themselves. So when you're around people like Lee Priest in bodybuilding and Joe Vitale, you know, in the spiritual, philosophical, financial part of it, seeing is believing. So that was very helpful, you know, to me as well. So if, if someone is 
really struggling right now and really perhaps frustrated with not making progress or not even getting started, um, what would you tell them is one thing they can do um, to to get them started on a similar journey? What was the what would be the first thing that you would tell them? Well, for me, it's uh, how badly do you want it? You know, people want to lose weight and they want to get in shape for summer, spring break, you know, for a wedding, whatever. I hear that a lot, but a lot of times, unfortunately, they don't really mean it. Um, how badly do you want it is first. What are you willing to sacrifice in order to achieve it? You have to be honest with yourself, you know. Uh, you can go your whole life and live a healthy lifestyle. You don't have to have a six-pack, you know, to be fulfilled. And I got news for you. Having a six-pack is not going to fulfill you. You're just going to be hungry. And, you know, you may look good with that six-pack, but, it's you know, it's, it's just really hard to maintain. It's not all it's cracked up to be. So I, I tell people to focus more on performance rather than, you know, uh, weight loss. So I would, I would challenge them to think more like an athlete and get involved in uh, something that makes them feel a little nervous, maybe some sort of a, uh, you know, a mud run or some sort of obstacle course or maybe do a CrossFit class or, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a marathon, a half marathon, a, a 5K, uh, something like that. Get out there and, and you'll find your community there. Uh, I did Austin's Fittest, and I met so many people that I believe are going to be lifelong friends just because of that community and sharing from that day and at the award ceremony as well. Uh, True Athletes Games was another thing that I did, and I love the, the community there. There's a lot of like-minded people that you know are wanting to lose weight or wanting to become an athlete and get stronger. So first I would say, you know, get away from just weight loss and think more like an athlete and think about performance. Your body is so amazing and what, what you can do. So experiment with your body. Try different things, you know, maybe road biking or mountain biking or, you know, what have you. There's so many things that you can do uh, rather than just focusing on weight loss. The weight loss will come. When you start exercising and start training like an athlete, your body will crave healthy foods. That's just the way this works. You won't want, you know, the Easter candy. You won't want the, the pizza. Sure, you can have it every once in a while, but this comes back to how badly do you want to compete in this, uh, you know, 3K or 5K or whatever it is you're doing. And uh, think more in that direction, I would say. I think uh, you're absolutely right. When we first uh, talked about this interview, you mentioned this concept of experiencing achievement and the idea that that people don't do that anymore. Uh, they might uh, have success in their jobs. They might you know, get that promotion they mm -hmm. looked for. They might move into that bigger house. But that was an interesting concept that I hadn't really heard uh, formulated that way. Tell me a little bit more about, about that. Yeah, I read a book uh, by Charles Garfield, who's a Ph.D., and I'll be doggone if I can't remember the name of the book right now, but if you just Google Charles Garfield, the book will pop up. And Charles Garfield was a exercise scientist. He was also a power lifter, weight lifter, and bodybuilder. In this book um, about performance, he dedicated the book to Bill Pearl, 
Uh, if you're a fan of bodybuilding, you'll recognize that name, one of the legends in bodybuilding, Bill Pearl. Uh, this is where I really first started learning about the power of achievement. Um, the book is about performance. It's about how to use your mind to get better performance out of yourself. Uh, the Russians dominated the Olympics in the 70s. Uh, I believe it was the Winter Games. And so in Milan, Italy, uh, Dr. Garfield went to Italy to talk uh, at a conference and the Russians were also there and they talked about some of the mental techniques they were using which allowed them to dominate the Olympics and and basically what they were doing were visualization techniques and relaxation techniques how many of us do those types of things today how many of us take you know five or ten minutes get quiet and breathe in and breathe out and focus on your goals. That's what the book was about, and that's what the Russians were doing. Uh, you know, I could, I could go on and on about some of the techniques they were using, but they would get instant results. Uh, as an example, they asked uh, Garfield um, how much did he bench at his absolute best. He said, oh, at my absolute best, I benched 365. They said, well, how much could you do now? He said, oh, boy, I haven't really trained seriously in, in many months, maybe 300 pounds. So they said, okay, well, we're going to experiment with you. So they, they used some of these techniques, relaxation, breathing techniques. They wanted him to visualize benching the weight with the weight on the bar. And the idea is that, you know, when you start doing this, your mind um, will actually perform at a much higher level and uh, they took him through these series of techniques. They put 300 pounds on the bar, and he did it pretty easily. And they said, okay, now we're going to load it up to 360, 365. He said, are you crazy? Uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get injured, and uh, I don't know if I can do this. And they said, well, just hear us out. So they did a little bit more, 30, 45 minutes of uh, some of these techniques with him. And uh, he did it. He was able to bench press 365 pounds, and uh, he was sold. So he started really researching, you know, uh, creative uh, visualization and relaxation and um, what separates people that are able to get amazing results like Olympic athletes from people, everyday people who, you know, really don't try. This all goes back to the Holocaust and how some people survived one of the worst times in our civilization, the atrocities that happened, and uh, what separated the people that were actually able to survive that? Well, he found, these Russian scientists found, that they were using some of these mental and relaxation techniques to survive, you know, some of the horrors of the Holocaust. So they basically, you know, took some of that stuff and applied it to athletics, and um, that's what helped them, and that's what the book is about. Um, performing at a higher level. And at the end of the book, he talks about achievement. And when you achieve, you build upon those achievements. And that's where you really start, you know, going in more in that direction. It's great to get a raise, you know, when you're at work, it's great to get a promotion. But, you know, at the end of your life, is that, is that something that you're really going to be proud of when you look back on your life? or is winning a bronze medal in the Olympics. And it doesn't have to just be athletics. You know, it can be anything in life. Um, maybe you want to run for public office and you don't know anything about it, but, 
you know, hey, you're just as capable as the next person and you decide to run for mayor. And, um, you know, so you use some of these techniques to elevate your performance above the standard, above the norm. Uh, but yeah, it's all about achievement. And since I've been thinking along those lines, uh, I'm looking to, you know, do Austin's Fittest again because I love uh, the fact that I can achieve there and continue to build. It's good for your business. It's good, you know, as a coach to have these achievements because the first thing we usually say to each other is, well, what have you done? You know, yeah, you're a trainer. Ed Brown Jr. can say, well, I've won this and I've won that. Those are achievements. Lee Priest can say, oh, I've won this, I've won that. Those are achievements. But a lot of Tom, Dick, and Harry's can say, well, I came in fourth place in the Mr. You know, Mud Creek, you know, bodybuilding contest. I don't know if that's an achievement. but So, you know, you don't have to necessarily win, but, you know, go after achievements where you're stretching yourself and, um, you know, you're doing things that are going to continue to go in that direction, help you go in that direction. You've, you've certainly achieved a lot um, by winning the Austin's Fittest. I want to really spend a, little, spend a little bit of time on that. How did you get started on that? I know there's a series on your blog where you kind of document 100 days of, of preparation for that and coming out victorious. I, I wanted to really start talking a little bit about what sparked this idea of, of, of signing up and and uh, tell me a little bit about that journey that ended up in, in winning it uh, in, in two categories uh, back to back. Well, I uh, trained like a bodybuilder for Austin's Fittest last year, and I can assure you I will not be doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, imagine, you know, what is one of the toughest workouts, Mark, that you have done in the gym? Maybe it's bar uh, barbell squats, 10 sets of 10. Or, you know, let's just use that as an example. You know what I'm talking about because yes. you're nodding your head up and down. So let's say you've just done your 10th set of barbell squats, 10 sets of 10, and you're using, you know, 275 pounds for all 10 sets. You're lying on the ground, gasping for breath, and uh, now you have to go run a mile. <laughs> That's what it was like at Austin's Fittest. And because I really wasn't training for that type of endurance, Even though I knew that I was going to have to run a mile, I just, it, it didn't hit me that, man, you better really start, you know, preparing. I thought maybe doing 10 sets of 10 was going to be enough, but so my training is so going this to be is different. Just, just those two exercises, though, for, for the people who don't know, this is a, a Austin Fitness, uh, Austin fit, Fittest individual, right? Various disciplines, multi mm -hmm. sort of, is this kind of like a CrossFit games? Yeah. Or how do you, how do you just, how yeah. would you describe that? Yeah, we should probably let people know what that is. So Austin's Fit Magazine is a local publication. They've been around for 10, 15 years. It's free. I believe you can find it at most gyms and Whole Foods and HEB. Comes out monthly. They have Austin's Fittest Games, I think is what they refer to it as. It's at Camp Mayberry in Austin. And it is a collection of 10 different events, uh, all different types of things like running, jumping, uh, a 40-yard dash, I mentioned the mile, um, burpees, and uh, medicine ball drills. So it's 10 different things. And for me, I was in the 50 uh, men's division. And I believe there were 40 or 50 men. And Austin is a very fit town. So I knew that it was going to be competitive, but I was surprised at how competitive it was. I remember walking up to the tent there that morning at Camp Mayberry and looking around at my competition saying, oh, my God, you know, is it too late for me just to run, <laughs> get in the car and go home? 
Uh, I had Joe Vitale with me, so he wouldn't let me do that. But yeah, it's a it's a competition that they have every year, and uh, it's fun. It's like think of a field day. You know, if you had field day in school where you did all these different things, it's a fun way to test how fit you are. And uh, how, what sparked you signing up for that? And how how uh, did you prepare for that? You mentioned you you. Um, you said you trained like a bodybuilder, but mm -hmm. I mean, I have no idea. I, I ran the you know Austin 10K last year. Nice. Didn't even prepare for that, but yeah. But I had no idea what what it would what it would be like. Um, where do you go to find information for this? How, mm -hmm. Are there you know, books you can read on how to prepare? There's even companies now, I guess, that that Training. teach people yeah. how to do these obstacle course races. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this one is not an obstacle course, but I hear what you're saying. There are a lot of obstacle courses, and I'm, I'm open to doing that type of thing, too. This goes back to, you know, uh, living like an athlete. And uh, the reason I signed up is because I felt like I needed a challenge. I want to set a good example for my kids. I have four boys, and if I'm not careful, they'll just sit around all day and play their devices and computers. And so I wanted to be a good example. They went with us. My wife and my four boys were there at Austin's Fittest watching. So that was, I think, powerful for them to see that. It doesn't have to be me. It could have been my wife. She didn't compete this year, but maybe she'll compete another time. The idea is just to have a family fitness you know, philosophy. So that's the reason I did it. Uh, I also did it for my business because being a coach, you know, you want to set a good example. If I were to have won, then that would be something I could achievement, you know, that I could say, hey, I did that. And being the fittest man in Austin is a pretty high achievement. You know, you could probably sell a few books if you decided to, or, you know, you could really do a lot with that marketing wise. Um, so that's why I signed up. As far as training, I trained like a bodybuilder. I did run a mile here and there. And when I talk about training like a bodybuilder, I, you know, just did chest one day and arms another day and back another day. And I knew that I needed more endurance. So I would do the squats, 10 sets of 10. I did do a little bit of, uh, you know, 40 yard dash stuff, but I didn't really prepare looking back as, as well as I should have. So this year, and this is what makes it fun. You know, you go back and now you feel even more prepared your second time around. So I hope to win back-to-back -back titles. I know there's some guys that are looking to knock me off because they told me that at the <laughs> awards ceremony. <laughs> These guys are pretty serious about this stuff. You know, it's funny, but at the same time, it's what keeps you young. It's what makes life interesting. And it what it's what keeps me accountable You know, when I want to eat half gallon of ice cream, I say, is this going to get me closer to, you know, doing well at Austin's Fittest or is this going to set me back? And we know what the answer is. So it helps me stay accountable. I think you said something really powerful there. And I, I, I talked to a lot of people um, who give me this kind of advice that says, you know, it's great to have a big goal ahead uh, in your mind. Uh, but it's really the everyday little steps and the right decisions that you make every day that matter, right? And you have to really remind yourself every yeah. time you put something in your mouth, is, is, is that going to get me closer to the, to, to the goal or not? Um, I personally really struggle with that. I, I get to a point where the goal is so far away, I lose sight of it. And I said, you know, I, I don't see the progress that I need to, need to be making. I, I get frustrated with, uh, with that microscopic progress and the same thing now here's one that's not going to make a big difference and before right. i know i oscillate out of out of control uh back to where i was before and i think a lot of people experience the same thing what do you think makes you different where where in those hundred days towards that uh, day when you stepped onto camp Mabry, 
that really got you there. I'm kind of chuckling while you're saying that because we all do this. We all cheat on our diets when we're not supposed to. We all miss workouts when we're not supposed to, whether you're Ed Brown or Lee Priest or Monica Brandt or, you know, whoever you are as an athlete. I've worked with a lot of them. Monica Brandt is a very uh, successful fitness competitor. You can Google that name and see everything you'd ever want to see about Monica. Um, so we all do that. You know, we all cheat on our diets. I, I always talk to my wife about this. I say, you know, don't mess with people's food. I've, I've learned to realize that when, when I have a client who isn't getting the results that he or she wants, um, you know, I know that when that client is at home and they're sitting on the couch and it's dark and they're watching their favorite TV show late at night, they're eating. I know that, you know, the weight tell the scale, because I have my clients weigh, tells me that I'm doing everything I can do with that client in my gym. We're getting those results. They're getting stronger. You know, if they're consistently showing up, they're getting the results. What I cannot control is what they're doing late at night on their couch while they're watching their favorite TV show. They're eating, not every night, but I do know they are. I, you know, we know that. Ed Brown knows that, Lee knows that, I know that. We all know that. So how can we keep that from happening? I can't, you know? Could a medical doctor change that for them? I had a, uh, a, a guy, a client, go to my fitness weekend uh, that I do. It's a high ticket item that I offer, $1,800 for a weekend. And it's basically like Bill Phillips, um, you know, weight loss camp. And I, I do that out in uh, Jonestown. And so his doctor said, listen, you need to lose weight because, and he's a doctor himself, my client. He said, uh, you know, everything, your blood pressure's high. Uh, he, my client had just had a friend die at age 45 wow. suddenly he has kids two boys i believe and so he was starting to see things around him that really caught his attention his doctor said he needed to lose weight his blood pressure was high he had a good friend die he didn't feel good he wanted to be able to take his shirt off when he goes to the beach you know it has to come from within something has to scare you or cause you enough pain, and I don't mean physical pain, to where you say, okay, I've had enough, I need to change. So during that weekend uh, with this client, I, I kept trying to figure out what can I say? What's one sentence that I can say to this person that's really going to make them uh, stay the path and lose the weight? I came up with, it's my job. It's his job, and I, he, he liked that. He liked it a lot. It, it actually caused him to start crying. He said to himself, it's my job to stay healthy so that I can be a dad to my two kids. It's my job to take care of myself so that I can be around, so that I can be a better husband, a better father, a better friend, a better doctor. It's my job. So whenever he is struggling late, on the night, late at night on the couch, thinking about eating, does it work every time? I don't know. But does it work some of the time? Absolutely. So you have to come up with your whatever it is, whether it's a phrase, you know, or a goal that means so much to you, you know. And I would, I would ask you, Mark, you know, 
it sounds like you've struggled, you know, with, with weight. So, you know, what could that be for yourself? You know, I mean, we, you and I are just getting to know each other, but as I continue to get to know you, I'm going to learn a lot from you and uh, you're going to learn some from me and together we're going to have a win-win. You know, that's what the support does. You know, I was my client's support that weekend and uh, we still stay in touch. You know, we email regularly. I oversee his training. He falls off the wagon sometimes, but the support always seems to bring you back. You know, is that powerful enough for you, Mark, to have that support and and to be around people that will keep you going in that direction? I don't know. I know that it will help you. I don't know if it's enough. Will it take a doctor, you know, to say, hey, man, you're one month away, God forbid, from having a heart attack. That probably would do it, is my guess. We don't want that to happen. Right. So, you know, without things getting too drastic, for me, uh, I'm an athlete, you know, and that's powerful enough for me is the competition and to be that for my kids, you know, because I tell them all the time, hey, man, I'm Austin's fittest. We laugh. We laugh <laughs> about it. They call me Austin's fattest. <laughs> you know, hardly, so hardly. we have fun with it. But, you know, I know they're proud of that. So I think of ways that I can, you know, when I'm gone, that they look back and say, you know, what did dad talk about? He talked about health and fitness. He talked about athletics. He talked about, you know, being a good dad, being a good father, being a good citizen, giving, giving up your time, supporting people. All of that is powerful enough for me. You know, I don't know what's powerful enough for you because I don't know your whole situation yet. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. I, I, um, I think people underestimate the power of their subconscious, right? And, and the body is programmed to survive and, and has automatic things it does that you, you couldn't you couldn't stop yourself from breathing for example you can't stop your, your heart from beating voluntarily mm -hmm, right. unless you're some yogi master yeah um, and, and I they think, can <laughs> I, right? I, I think one of the things that, that I'm coming to terms with is that perhaps um, struggling with self-image or struggling with uh, with weight loss for me has deeper roots right there's probably something else that that I learned as a child mm -hmm. right uh, perhaps saying you know maybe, uh, food was a reward at the time. Like mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I was never an athlete until really late in in in, in my in my you know adolescence even. Mm -hmm. um, so I I swam. I I was a, I was a decent uh, um, decent athlete, but nothing great. But I think what happened uh, what happens for me is just this idea that that I'm I'm battling my 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 subconscious, and and so I I tried visualizations. I tried. Um, this sort of mantra thing you, you put your, your goal on a piece of paper and every day you read it 40 mm -hmm. times mm -hmm. you know, to kind of convince your, mm -hmm. your, your subconscious but I think, I think I haven't really found that, that thing yet that, that my, my subconscious is holding on to so one of the things that I think is helping me is, is changing my relationship with food altogether so mm -hmm. last year I, I started eating um, or stopped eating really meat Mm -hmm. meat and, and animal products mm -hmm. um, for reasons that everybody, you know, tells me are, you know, sort of the new thing, right? Hey, you go vegan, you drop a bunch of weight. So mm -hmm. there was this idea that, hey, I would, I would drop a lot, a lot of weight really easily by, by, by not eating animal products. Mm -hmm. But that didn't happen. 
I, I ate nothing but vegetables and, mm-hmm. and fruit all day long. And, and you didn't lose weight. And I didn't lose weight. Wow. Interesting. Which, which is, is, is interesting, right? You, mm-hmm. you, you would think that it would happen. But I think what it did do, though, is, is it, it healed sort of my relationship with food, mm. right? So when, when, when I, I took away um, things like dairy, that took away things like, you know, chocolate and donuts, right? Mm-hmm. And so now I'm, I'm at a point where I'm healing my relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And once I have that, I think maybe then I can start being more, more conscious about how much I'm eating and controlling, yeah. controlling that. But I think there was something in my subconscious that's connected uh, bad food or too much food with, you know, how I felt and, and how it was supposed to make me feel. Mm, well, things that jump out at me is, uh, first of all, good job making that connection because a lot of people don't. I've had clients, you know, who battle that type of thing, but they can't put their finger on, you know, what the underlying issue is. And as a trainer, you know, I've been training people for 30 years. That is the hardest thing with clients is there's no magic involved. We can't say, we can't ma- wave our magic wand. We can't come up with a magic phrase there's no magic diet. So that's our frustration as a client or as a trainer with the client because you're like, man, I, what can I do, you know, to get them to see how much better life is when you feel healthy and you have, I'm going to say discipline, although I know it's much more than that with a lot of people. They have discipline, but there's still some issues that, you know, make them have uh, issues with food. So I know it's more than just discipline. Now, there are some trainers that disagree with that. They say, no, you just need to say no. It's like smoking. You just need to stop. It's like drinking. You just need to stop. Well, you know, if you're an alcoholic, where do you go for support? You go to AA. So you don't just stop. You have support that keeps you every day from drinking, right? Because it is day by day, as they say, you know, with alcohol. Uh, that's the first thing is a good job, you know, discovering that about yourself. Secondly, sugar is very addictive. When you eat sugar, you want more sugar. I mean, this is just the way, uh, this is just chemistry. Uh, that's number two. So I eat sugar, but I also know the next day I'm going to want more sugar. So I have to get away from the, the house. You know, I do stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> or I go, uh, you know, to the field and we play baseball. I get away from food. So there's a tip right there. Get away from food sometimes, you know, uh, all of us. I'm not talking to any one specific person. Put yourself in situations just like a former or an alcoholic would do to get away from alcohol. Put yourself in situations to get away from food, you know. Maybe there's some sort of retreat, you know, that's centered on this philosophy that, you know, you could do or start your own group, you know. Um, That's number three. Number four, I have to touch upon something uh, in terms of nutrition called food combining. Have you heard of food combining before? Well, I, in, um, in, in Germany, there's a concept of, you know, don't eat carbs and fat together. Like you can eat carbs and protein or protein and fat, but don't eat carbs and fat together. It's okay. like the worst thing you can do. So that's what, I, what I'm thinking. That's you might similar, be about. and you're ahead of the curve when you say that, because when I ask people the question, they typically say, food combining, do you mean like mixing rice and beans to get a complete protein? No, that's not what I mean. I have a lot of information on my blog about food combining, and what I mean is separating carbs and protein. Uh, just real quickly, you know, when you eat, it's a chemical process. 
your body uses acids to break down protein and your body uses alkalines to break down carbs. Uh, perhaps you've heard of pepsin, which is an acid that breaks down protein. Well, when you mix the two, you get a food uh, in your stomach that doesn't get properly digested. And so you might feel bloated. If you feel bloated, then you know you've eaten a combination that you know, is, is not the best combination. Um, I learned about this a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, from a bodybuilder who learned it from William Hay, who's a medical doctor. Sometimes this is called the Hay Diet, H-A-Y. Um, I learned about this from Steve Mikulik, who is a bodybuilder, former Mr. America, food combining. And I real, as I read this, you know, there's some sort of phrase that says, uh, before wisdom comes, you have to unlearn everything you've ever learned. And so I went into this book with that philosophy. And so I tried it, and I was amazed. The weight started, for me, just really falling off. I was amazed at how much weight I lost. It's not a low-carb diet. Um, you know, just to run through a daily a diet, uh, to wrap it up, was uh, I'd have a smoothie for breakfast, which goes against everything bodybuilding taught me. In bodybuilding, you wake up, you do what? Eat protein, Eat protein. right? But I would have a green smoothie, which is, and I still do this, two handfuls of spinach, fresh spinach, a cup and a half of frozen mango, unsweetened, of course, a third cup of frozen blueberries, unsweetened, of course, add water and stevia, and then mix it up in a Nutribullet. I use a Nutribullet just because I like them. And drink. And man, you know, it's healthy nutrition. You're energized. Yes, I have coffee an hour, hour and a half before that. And the reason is because of the, you know, chemical process. But after I have that smoothie, I, you know, it tastes good. It makes me feel good. It, food should give you energy. Right. Isn't that, you know, why we eat is to repair ourselves, but also to get energy. If you feel bloated, you know, that requires a lot of energy. Digestion requires energy. So if you're eating foods that make you bloated, you have just hindered your body's energy because you're going to be dealing with this bloat, uh, with this poison basically in your stomach that needs to be taken care of. Uh, so 30 minutes later after the smoothie, I have egg white omelet. Just that, you know. Um, maybe I can add some uh, mushrooms or, you know, some green kind of vegetables to that. And then uh, for lunch, you know, it's a typical meal, grilled chicken, sweet potato, mixed vegetables. But if I get my first two meals right each day, the green smoothie, the egg white omelet, I feel great the rest of the day. I don't start off behind the eight ball with this bloated feeling that all day long I'm just piling more and more right. food on. So I encourage people, maybe one of the ways to heal your relationship with food is to get into the chemical process of how digestion works. Man, it's empowering. When you start seeing and feeling results, you will lose weight, I can assure you, when you do this. You still can eat carbs. I mean, I eat 200 grams of carbs a day, now 250 since I'm training more like an athlete. Uh, there's two specific ways. When you're trying to just lose weight, you have around 150 to 200 grams of carbs a day. When you're training more like an athlete and doing more athletic stuff, you want to bump up your carbs to 250 or 300 even. Right. So that would be my fourth point here. My long fourth point is to consider 
food combining and understand nutrition and really how it works. We're not really taught that, right? Even doctors will tell you that they throughout their entire medical training becoming, yeah they don't really they don't focus on, on i have clients that are doctors and come to me to learn how to eat because they don't know they're yeah. not getting the results from how they were taught exactly. to eat exactly so i i want to touch a little bit um, more on on the mental toughness aspect of it i i think one thing that perhaps has happened over um, the course of 30 years of training people and also working um, on your on your own body is that perhaps uh, one of the advantages uh, people have that have been doing this for a long time, even though perhaps maybe their their, their physical uh, conditioning is not as good as it used to be, whatever. But you, you you build that that mental toughness. So take me back to that day in Camp Mabry. You walk up, uh, you you you've trained for for a hundred days up to, leading up to this, and you see these people that uh, are now going to compete with you. <laughs> take me to that day. What happened? I was and, scared. Know. I mean, there wasn't any mental toughness at that point. <laughs> I was just nervous, butterflies. But you know, you should have that because that means you care. If you're not nervous and you have no butterflies, then you probably don't care. I wanted to do well. I wanted to win. So I attributed that. I, I took it as a good sign that I was nervous. I took it as a good, I knew enough about myself to say, hey, this is good. Just because I'm nervous, that's not a bad sign. That's a good sign. So those are the things that I do, the self-talk. I'm nervous, but hey, let me uh, study this for a second. I'm nervous because I care. Oh, okay. Now I feel good all of a sudden. As far as mental toughness, well, you know, my training, uh, the training that I did prepared me as best I could. I mentioned I trained like a bodybuilder. I felt like that was good enough, and it ultimately was. Um, you know, I, I just, I went on autopilot. You know, it, everything happens so fast that in that 90 minutes. You're not really having enough time, you know, to stop and visualize and uh, relax. So you have to have done all that before. So your training is done before the event. Now, when I'm running the mile, I've got lots of time. <laughs> I've got about eight or nine minutes, you know, to uh, to think about this. So that might be the the event that really came into play. That was the last event. And all I was trying to do is beat the guy ahead of me. And... Um, you know, so there there really wasn't a lot of mental stuff going on that day because everything happened so fast. The the idea though, I think I think there's maybe a renaissance that's happening in in this entire industry, and that's probably why why some of those mud runs and warrior dash and perhaps even Austin Fittest uh, are 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 being successful right now because they're bringing people back to to this idea of accomplishing something right there and then, right? So. This idea of you know you you run the five k you've done the five k yeah right? you you scale the obstacle this that's something you put yeah. you hang your head on as opposed to hey uh, you know I was asking Eddie um, how long would it take for someone who's never been to the gym before they see, saw the results and uh, he'd say you know you'd have to really diet strictly and maybe in three months you'll start seeing some 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 weight fall off it'll really probably take you a year to, 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 to really see, see <laughs> not that. something that the average person wants to hear exactly <laughs> exactly and uh and, and and once again i i think the idea of of living in the moment and, and, and experiencing that accomplishment with could kickstart and maybe flip that switch in your mind that you you can do better you can do more uh and and i i, I see that uh, in a lot of people where they're abandoning the regular gyms and, yeah. and going to these, you know, functional training yeah. gyms and, and experiencing accomplishment right there and then at, uh, at, at that moment. 
That's a good point. And, uh, you know, as good as uh, social media can be for us to be able to communicate with each other around the world, it's also uh, not so great because, you know, we're constantly seeing ripped physiques. And, you know, we, we, we see the people that are giving them a thumbs up or, you know, whatever the terminology is. I say for people that struggle with weight loss and have been, you know, on a roller coaster, don't even look at those uh, Instagram accounts, Twitter accounts, Facebook account. Don't, you know, because all you're doing is basically it's like looking at a chocolate cake that you can't eat, you know. So forget about, you know, the cosmetic stuff. And as you say, focus on the instant gratification stuff where you can train for, you mentioned, a 10K, was it? Yeah, so that I mean that's awesome right there. Obviously, that means a lot to you, and it should because you did it. Right, it's an exactly. achievement. Exactly. You probably got some sort of a, a medal or a T-shirt or a ribbon or a trophy or something, and you can always look back at that and say, you know what, uh, I didn't really prepare for it, uh, but I did it, and I achieved something, and I feel good about that achievement. Training for a year and following a strict diet, first of all, that's torture, and uh, I don't know that it's going to be really fulfilling too. Uh, I, I just don't know. Bodybuilding, you know, is a lifestyle, but the competitive stuff is not really about fulfillment. The f- competitive part of bodybuilding is really not even healthy. It's how you look one day or maybe a few days out of the year, and then the rest of the time, uh, you know, if you're a Lee Priest, you're enjoying life and eating 36 donuts in one day. <laughs> And, uh, well, he ate 35, actually. He didn't eat the, the, the last one. I asked him why. He said, well, I didn't want to be selfish. <laughs> <laughs> so, funny. you know, there's something to be said for enjoying what it is you're doing. I don't know that people are going to enjoy being on a strict diet for a year and, and all of that. Some people can, you know, uh, but for the majority of us, I think it comes back to being around like-minded people setting a goal as a group and doing a warrior dash or a mud run or an obstacle course or a 10k you know holding each other accountable go out for drinks you know to celebrate when you set new records don't worry so much about the calories you know you want to eat correctly and uh, you want to i think you should track your calories i use lose it you know i talk a lot about that on my website Uh, i think you should do that because we tend to uh, underestimate how much we eat typically, uh, but but make it a celebration. You know, don't make it torture. When you're preparing for something, that should be a happy time. Right. When you're preparing for an event, it should be fun. So if it's not fun, maybe question why we're doing it. Right. Absolutely. So so you ran the mile. You you beat the guy. And you end up winning Austin's fit. And I didn't know at the time that I won because the results don't come for a week or two after, which is torture. You know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't really like that about Austin's fittest uh, because I wish there way, was a way to know at that time. When you look at events, whether it be boxing, you know, I mean, a lot of times you don't know who the winner is in boxing, but until after the match, but. You know, baseball game. You know who's winning a football game. You know who's winning. That's the only thing is that it does kind of bother you because you don't know right away. Right. You have no clue. You really don't know. Um, But, yeah, I didn't find out until a week and a half, two weeks later. And, um, 
you know, I was looking at my computer, the email came, I was just constantly refreshing the screen because I knew that the email was coming that day. And uh, yeah, it was a celebration with uh, my wife and I because she helped me, you know, train for it, supported me and all that. It was a great accomplishment. And if I don't win again, that's okay. Winning it once was awesome. And I'll continue to do things, you know, like Austin's Fittest, uh, physical things. And I'm always looking for other things too. It doesn't just have to be physical. Right. And I, I think, well, first of all, congratulations. It's Thank a you. Ma major, major accomplishment and, and perhaps something I, I need to put up uh, on uh, on my list of things to try at least. You should. I think I, I remember uh, that morning going to Austin 10K because I never been to something like this before one thing that struck me was how many people were there unbelievable i was totally blown away by that idea. by what i'm sorry Mark. by by how many people were at the austin how many yeah. yeah and um i felt really good just showing up because all these people had shown up yeah right so for once i didn't you know stay in bed I mean, for once i got up and, and, and took the drive down there and mm -hmm. next thing i know is there's all these people and they're excited and And uh, I, th I think that was 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 a really powerful uh, feeling. This idea that hey, you know, at least I'm here, mm -hmm. right? Um, that, yeah. So I think I think that's something I I, I noticed in, in in you as well. Sort of this idea of, of showing up, right? The idea of I'm going to put my mind to it. Um, I don't know what I'm going to get out of it, but right. I'll, I'll I'll just try that and, yeah. and see what happens. Right, and that's where the training comes into play. You know, you just have to trust your training and. Looking back, obviously, my training wasn't the greatest for that event, but it helped me to win. And, uh, you know, uh, you have to trust in your training. You have to trust in your mental preparation, which is visualization for five minutes or so a day, deep breathing, focusing on your goal, and uh, trust in the process, and then just show up, and then have fun. You know, during the day, just have fun. I mean, when you did the 10K, I'm assuming that you had some fun. Oh, it was it was a blast. Good. Absolutely, yeah. And did you do it by yourself? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, awesome. But one thing I and it's probably something about Austin too. Is there were live bands and playing along. I had no yeah. idea about this. I thought it was, hey, we're going to run 10k. But yeah. this this the whole production. It's a celebration. Exactly. It like. And then people were handing out food oh, and, that's and, cool. and giving you water and cheering you on, and it it it, it was really amazing. So I, I think that's one thing I would tell everyone is try something. There's so many you know 5ks yeah. or. or Turkey trots. Or mm -hmm. Austin is such an active town. If you yeah. hear no shortage of things to try and, and, and just trusting the idea that nobody's going to laugh at you. Nobody, no. Nobody's going to make fun of you. It's right. just going to be awesome. And right. for, for once in a life, uh, you might just uh, experience that achievement. Right. So would you do the 10K again? I, I've thought about it. Um, now the competitive aspect of it uh, uh, is, is striking. And I, I, I set my goal to just finish it, number one. And I said, the stretch goal will be to do it under an hour. And I ran 58 minutes. Which wow. So then then I gained a bunch of weight back, right? Which mm -hmm. was a big, big setback for me. And mm -hmm. I just uh, started running again. So this is one of the things I'm really struggling with, right? So now my, my subconscious is telling me, well, you know, if you did it again, you know, your, your time would be much worse or whatever. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm blocking myself yeah. by, by, by doing this. And This, this, there's this definitely, I talked to Ed about this fear of failure, right? This, this inhibiting people mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and how to overcome that. It's one thing to say, well, I'm going to go and, and try and, and, and there's a huge accomplishment in that. But I think a lot of people who've tried before uh, get paralyzed by this idea of, you know, I tried, but it never really, you know, did anything. There was no lasting mm -hmm. change or 
uh, perhaps this idea that you know I used to be able to do that now yeah. I, I can't anymore and you, you know what it felt like at the time and you want to mm-hmm. feel that again and you f- you're afraid that maybe you, you you let yourself down yeah well one of the things I want to touch on is uh, the importance of goals and uh, you know we're talking about uh, Austin's fittest as an example and we talked about Ed Brown you know he and I uh, always have a goal my goal is to do Austin's Fittest again. So that's my year goal, okay? Uh, a short-term goal would be to improve on the mile, okay? Uh, you try to pick goals that feel doable and have, uh, you know, some fun attached to them. And, um, you know, so you should have a, a long-term goal, which is maybe a year, a, a mid, mid-term goal, which is maybe four or five months, and then a short-term goal, which is a couple of weeks, three weeks or so. That that seems to be something that's very, very helpful, you know, for me. I mean, everybody's different, obviously. The other thing is you should have a scary goal. Um, so I'm going to ask you first, what would be a scary goal, thinking of a physical event that you sometimes entertain the idea of and then you chase that thought out of your mind because you say, ah, I could never do that or that would never happen. Do you ever have that, that thought? And if so, what would the goal be? I, I have one. Let's hear it. So don't, don't laugh at me. No. But um, um, Gore-Tex puts on a, um, a run once a year in, um, in Germany. Actually, it's, it spans Germany, Austria, Italy. And they call it the Alpine Run. Wow, it's, I love it already. It starts um, in the twenty minutes from my hometown where I grew up, mm. and it's basically eight days of running mm-hmm. across the Alps until you get to Italy. It's two hundred and eighty-five kilometers in eight days. Basically, seven marathons plus wow. uh, plus a uh, thirty-mile sprint in a flat. Um, they call it a thirty-mile sprint, but essentially, is takes you. It's a group of two, I mean, um, pairs of, of people. You can't do this by yourself. You have to find mm-hmm. someone to do this with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, you cross the Alps in eight days Wow! In, uh, in a run. And it's uh, unbelievable. And so I've thought about if I if I put something in front of me that said I would want to accomplish that, and it is scary as hell. <laughs> and I have no idea how I would even begin to train for something. Like this. But first matter. of all, first of all, you know, you, you would you would have to you run marathons and yeah. you set smaller goals. But the idea is, is you have the distance, you have the altitude, you have the incline, you have the terrain, you have the weather, um, and and people do it. They, they've done it six years in a row now, and, and I think this year, um, so it's always in September. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I you know three years ago I first heard about it, and I said, man. I could do this next year and then I could do it 15, I could do it 16 and I'm nowhere near closer. Mm-hmm. But that would be a hell yeah. of a scary goal to yeah. work towards. But the, I, I can, first of all, it's beautiful. You know, it's, you see the Alps in, in a totally different way. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing physical accomplishment mentally. Mm. Uh, and many people fall out and, and don't finish it and go back year after year just because they want to try. Mm-hmm. But if I had to pick one, that would be it. Mm. Interesting. So, what what I would share with someone who uh, had that type of uh, goal is, first of all, um, a really good technique, and I know you've heard of this, is having a vision board and uh, cut out pictures of what the scenery looks like. And this should be easy to you because you grew up 20 minutes, 20 miles from there. And then cut out pictures of yourself running and put your picture of yourself on that vision board 
you know, and start creating something that you can look at every single day. And this is where the mental stuff comes in because our, our minds are basically just computers. And, you know, when you start putting the thoughts in there, you know, you start programming your mind and you might find that you start having people come into your life and you say, wow, that's weird because somehow they're related to this race that you've set as a goal. I've seen it happen over and over again. I use bodybuilders reality as an example. You know, um, my wife and I were watching survivor, the reality show and Ryan Lee, you know, and the, and his CD of the month. So I had a reality show with survivor. I had the idea of a DVD of the month with Lee priest. I just, you know, she was my vision board in that example. So if you don't have somebody, create a vision board and start, and, and you'd be surprised, you know, what might happen there. People that show up in your life or emails that you get, maybe some of it already has. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Well, mine would be American Ninja Warrior uh, to compete in that show. Wow. Are you familiar with yes, that? Yes, I've, I've heard of it. I, I know there's, for the first time, I think a girl finished it or, a, you know, a yeah. woman finished it. Yeah. Um, was pretty big on social media. Tell me more about, about that. Uh, you know, I love the show. I love the idea of that instant gratification, you know, where you can just go out on the course and you either do it or you don't. Um, nothing's left up to the judges. You either got to get across or you don't. Um, you know, the training, I love the idea of training that way. I mentioned Monica Brandt. I know that she is training for, I believe she's training for American Ninja Warrior because I see little videos of her running up the warped wall, you know, and she's that doing it. That seems to be that one. She's doing it. The, the, the you know? most difficult obstacle. And she's in her ball. 40s, you know, and uh, she's not letting time slow her down at all. She's also a track athlete that still runs at a highly competitive level. I think she's trying to qualify for the Olympics, whatever the division is, I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, I just like the idea, and it is scary. And do I think I will do it? Probably not. But at the same time, I'm saying, why not? That's the struggle in my mind. You know, and I've had people say, we're going to be seeing you on American Ninja Warrior. And I can't know, wait to see so, you there. So that's, <laughs> that's where I start getting these things that happen. Like I mentioned to you, somebody shows up in your life or an email comes or a person, you know, whatever. So, you know. That that would be the answer for me. That's that's awesome. I I wanted to to uh, kind of start wrapping it up a little mm -hmm. bit. But one of the things I found on your website that I thought was really amazing was a quote that says, um, "Whatever you can dream, begin." Boldness has a genius power and magic in it. I thought that was really powerful. Boldness, yeah, boldness. Just throw yourself into life. Go boldly where no man has gone before. <laughs> Boldness, I love that word because it makes me smile because it, it is true. You can talk yourself out of things and uh, live a, you know, a lesser life, you know, but just by, talk, by being your own worst enemy, by being the obstacle in your path, um, be bold. You know, don't make mistakes that maybe I've made. Um, not doing something that I wish I had done. And I know that's happened many times. I can't think of an example right in this moment, but I know that it has. You know, maybe it's something as simple as riding a roller coaster and missing out on that fun. But yeah, boldness is a, a very powerful word for me. I'm glad you brought that up. Get out there in life. And, and that's where the empowerment comes. And that's where the achievement comes. And that's where the miracles are on the other side 
you know, go on, go to the other side and you'll be just amazed. I've seen it happen over and over again. That, that's amazing. I think, I think that's a good, uh, good way to end it. Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to really, really thank you for coming on the show today. It's amazing. Uh, but before we, before we stop, just really quickly, where can people find you? Um, and you know, you have so many, so many different facets uh, of your life and we haven't really touched on any uh, of the entrepreneur uh, side of that. Maybe we'll do that in a future interview, but where do go, where do people go if they have questions or maybe they want to learn a little bit more about you? They can go to scottyorkfitness.com. You can Google Scott York. And yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. And probably just find all the things that I've done in terms of entrepreneurial stuff. And there's obviously lots of Scott Yorks, but Scott York Fitness or, um, you know, uh, just Google Scott York. And being from Austin, Texas and in the fitness world, that's where you'll find the things that I've done online. Is the and you you mentioned the um, bodybuilders reality is still alive after all these years. So is is yeah. there a corresponding website for that as well? Well, what I'm doing with bodybuilders reality, you know, uh, I started that in 2005, so 11 years ago. Wow. DVDs and 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 that type of thing don't sell nearly as well as they used to. So what I'm doing with bodybuilders reality is having fun, and I'm going to try it. This here's that word fun again. I try to always have fun in everything I do is just for a small window of time, probably around the holidays, around Christmas, is offer uh, all 24 episodes um, for a one-time annual deal. You can find all 24 DVDs just for a week at a special price. Yes, they can go to bodybuildersreality.com. And I don't know if there's any links to buy those DVDs, but you can read all about it. Ed Brown Jr. is on there. That, that's a website for people that want to get into bodybuilding, want to learn more about bodybuilding. Scott York Fitness is more about uh, training athletes. Okay. And then you also uh, put contents out on, on YouTube as I well, do. right? There's a channel there. Yep. I have uh, Scott York Fitness is the YouTube channel and Toolband123 <laughs> is the YouTube channel. Back in 2005... You didn't think about naming your channel. You didn't know YouTube was going to be where it is now. So that was the first thing. I love the band Tool. And uh, so that's where that came from. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought, well, that's, that's an interesting connection. <laughs> yeah. Very good. And then how much longer before Austin's uh, fittest? Uh, when is that happening? 54 days. 54 okay, days. Okay. So once again, there's a tip. If you have a goal, <laughs> you should be able to know exactly. And Ed Brown knows that he's 14 weeks away I know I'm 54 days away from Austin's Fittest, so it's a Mar uh, May 21st. So people can go to Camp Maybury in Canada Yeah, Maybury it's a free event. Yeah, it's fun. Can, there's music. There's food. It's very lively. It's a celebration. There's families there. It's not a, hey, look at me and how buff I am type of thing. It's just a uh, really, it's like field day was back in school. That's amazing. So we'll, we'll might see, we might see you there and take a couple of pictures and awesome. put them up on there. Well, anyway, is there anything uh, you want to uh, tell us? It's been a pleasure with you, Mark. I appreciate it. I love your line of questioning. I love the direction you're going with this. I know that, you know, this series is going to help a lot of people. It's informative. It's entertaining. And uh, thanks for doing it. Thanks yeah, for having me. I can't uh, thank you enough for, for bringing all this information and those nuggets to, to the show today. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Awesome. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to the Android Strength Podcast with your host, Mark Mulzer. We'll catch you next time.